Ashray Journal presents. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is Ashray Journal podcast, episode number 18. I'm Caitlin Bache, assistant editor of Ashray Journal and today's host. So let's jump right into it. Picture this, you're only out of school a few years and you're excited to join the HVAC and R industry. Great jobs, great profession, good money. But when you start breaking into the industry, you discover that in many cases, you'd be the youngest in the company, let alone in the room. Is it a turn off or a great opportunity? The outlook for HVAC jobs remains strong. However, the lack of interest in the trade as a career among young people continues to cause concern. Despite the worry, other experts, such as those at AHR Expo and Ashray Journal, predict HVAC jobs will grow 15% over a 10-year period. With us today to talk about being a young person breaking into the industry are Elizabeth Primo and Nis Feiner. Elizabeth is an engineering in training working as an outside sales rep in Ottawa. Elizabeth is working with student activities as chair to encourage young kids to get into STEM and post-high students to consider HVAC as a career. Nis has been in the HVAC and plumbing industry since 2006 in both the contracting and engineering sectors. Nis became the first in Canada to hold ASHRAE's Certified HVAC Designer CHG designation. To read their full and impressive bios, I invite you to visit the ASHRAE Journal podcast page on ashray.org. We are so glad to have both of you with us today. Um, So let's start with a personal experience question. What is it like to be a young person in a career with older opinions and views? And why is it important to have young engineers in the industry and an ashray? Yeah, being a young person in this industry is definitely um, a benefit. I think any room that becomes more diverse is going to be better and get better ideas and and move forward. There's always been young people in industry and every industry forever. Um, We're just, you know, the newest ones and and hopefully we're asking the right questions and pushing us in the right direction towards better groups and better ideas. It's important to have young engineers in ASHRAE because we are the future of ASHRAE and there's a lot of rooms in ASHRAE where there are no young engineers and they're getting work done and they're doing good work. But they might not be doing the best work and they might just need a bit of energy and just renewed interest, whether it's, you know, a bigger focus on diversity or energy efficiency or new technologies, a younger voice that's asking questions and maybe not leading, but learning is needed in every in every one of those rooms just to to keep us moving forward. I think that with with a career that can span as long as it does for a lot of people. You have different priorities at different points in your life and your career. And if you've been in it for 30, 40 plus years, then, you know, you're going to start focusing on, on things that are reliable, that things are, are tested and true, because maybe you're at a point where you don't want to take any risks. You're at a point where, you know, it's been working so far, but that's not really how things tend to, to advance. We, we don't push the limits or we don't advance the technology and, and practices by doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so an influx of young opinions and perspectives means you do have that kind of newer approach to things. These people aren't bound by convention. 
these people aren't necessarily bound by I'm five years to retirement. I don't want to rock the boat. And so you have a certain freedom there that comes with that perspective and diversifying the opinions in the workplace. And it's not to say that the youngest minds are necessarily, you know, there's, there's something to be said for experience, but it's the diversification of those opinions that are very, very important. And so we need outside opinions coming in from, from different age groups and from even different cultural backgrounds or different socioeconomic backgrounds. So, so increasing the, uh, the depth of the pool there, I, I think, um, is, is a good thing. And, and young people definitely can contribute to that. For the people that are looking to kind of diversify, what are some of like the best places for these young engineers to break into the industry? Do you think, oh, of course, this, this varies from person to person, but maybe some ways that you both did. I, I think ASHRAE is the right place to do that because there's so many technical committees. There's so many standing committees that you can go to that, that might even just pique your interest. Let's say you got out of school, you learned something that readily resonated with you, and it was a really cool thing that you'd like to be a part of. Well, you can find that technical committee. And you can learn from industry veterans there and you can hone your skills that way without even really getting into the workforce. So I, I think societies like ASHRAE or, or other relevant engineering societies are, from my perspective, one of the best ways to do that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think when you're in ASHRAE, you hear a lot of people's stories. You hear a lot of like their ASHRAE story. And what I take from it a lot is that you need to find whatever your passion is. And that's what you follow, right? Like I loved being a student member. I ended up loving being a student activity chair. And that's why I'm still working in that, you know, years later. And I think if you just find that passion and you do whatever drives you, like don't don't try and look and see, oh, what's Ashley looking at? Okay, I guess I'll be passionate about, you know, the, the hot topic. If you're passionate about something specific, whether it's indoor air quality, you know, energy efficiency or something even more specific, you know, you can find your niche. And within ASHRAE, there are so many groups and so many things that you can do that you can find your home within ASHRAE. And, and I would just encourage anybody to, you know, take that chance, sit in meetings. Like we're a very welcoming society and you can just sit in the meeting, spend, you know, an hour there and maybe you leave there thinking, wow, I'm never going back to that TC. I'm never going back to that committee. Or you might think, wow, this is totally where I want to spend my time and put in my effort. You just got to kind of take those, you know, those younger years to find whatever your passion might be. If I could uh, echo that for a second, you'd be really surprised as to how you can find your passion with things. So for an example, we have a technical committee that I'm part of, TC.2, Animal and uh, Agricultural Environments or Indoor Animal and Ag Environments. And when I went to the first meeting there, I was there for the same reason everyone was that year. And there was a big influx. And it was because of the, the emerging legalization of cannabis. So people wanted to, you know, be ahead of the gold rush. And so there was a huge influx there and, and I was there for the same reason. But I sticked around for reasons other people didn't because I saw the opportunities for things like food security and remote environments and local growing and even the potential for space exploration. So it was surprising even for myself because, I mean, that's not why I showed up in the first place. But it was something that opened my eyes and that I realized that I could contribute. And you also don't realize necessarily the perspective that you bring because, you know, when I'm in, when I'm in that room, it's, it's interesting how many people are there because they have experience on the animal side, but so few people on the growing side. And so 
everybody has this really diverse background of experience. And I was able to bring, you know, a perspective on things like companion animals that we don't have a lot of documentation for in, in our manual or in a handbook. So even though you, you think you show up for one thing, you might find that you're drawn into it for an entirely different reason. And you, despite what your experience or your, or your lack of experience might be, you might actually be the best person in the room to speak about that little niche topic. And it's amazing what opportunities you find when you just take that first step and walk into that room. Uh, what about internships? Because I know those used to be a big part of breaking into the industry. And did either of you have internships? Yes. Um, yeah, internships are a great way, you know, to sit at that table for four months, for eight months, for a year and kind of live it. I did, um, we call it co-op programs up here um, through my university. And so I worked for the federal government in procurement on a construction project. And I kind of learned how the construction world worked and I kind of liked it. It was interesting to, you know, to, to start to see something come together. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I actually got to work as an estimator for a mechanical contractor. So that gave me a bit of an insight into the world of, you know, tenders and bids and bid closings and that kind of crazy side. And I kind of loved it, but at the same time, I, it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. But through that internship, I was able to build relationships. I was taught very quickly how to understand mechanical drawings and where to find the information, how to read specs, how to ask questions, you know, when they don't maybe line up as well as you think from one to the other. And and that really led me to my job that I have now through my internship and through ASHRAE. Those internships, and the last one for sure, encouraged me to attend ASHRAE meetings. And that's where I ended up meeting my my future boss. And it, it was just such a good opportunity to to test the waters and, and learn. And I, I would encourage anybody to try and find that internship, uh, whether it's their school or just looking for a summer job, working for anything that in the industry that you might like and, and find your passion. Uh, uh, for me, I, I'm afraid I... I... I can't really comment on internships that well. I, I didn't have a, a like I said, a, a typical career path into engineering. Uh, I, I started with my family's contracting firm. And with that, I did project management and estimation, um, and as well as kind of partially managing the company. And I found my interest in my niche in the engineering. And so I, I, I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't have to go out and find uh, an actual internship. I kind of already had one for so long, and then I just kind of created my own engineering job. So, um, but I can say that I think regardless of of what path you take, uh, it does require that kind of that kind of drive and that thirst for for knowledge and for experience. You know, with an internship, you're there to experience things, you're there to learn on the job, and you have to kind of want to, and you have to have the temerity to see it through. So regardless of the, the situation, you're, you're going to have to have certain qualities there to, to succeed, I think. I would add to when you're in your internship, just like say yes to anything. If someone's like, I want to site and you have something else to do, just say yes, go to site, learn, like just take as much time as you can. Like you're, it's very rare that you are in the room, but don't have that much responsibility. Like most internships, like they don't expect a whole lot from you. Like obviously there's, there's work to be done, but you're not expected to be making money for the company. They're kind of testing you out as well. So just take advantage of it and and kind of use your your inexperience to to learn as much as you can and, and really enjoy it. And I can say as somebody who's like managed apprentices and and dealt with that, right? Like I expected my apprentices to screw up. They were there to learn. Obviously, we don't like to see that happen. But when when an apprentice made like a critical error and they came, you know, they came up to me kind of, you know, head down, it was like, okay. 
what did we learn? You know, I expect you to screw up. I'll get mad if you make the same mistake twice, but this is how we learn. This is how we grow. And I can't say that every employer is going to be that way. I should hope that they would be. But say yes to everything. And like Blitz said, they're not expecting you to be a moneymaker. They're not expecting to, to build a company off of your skill and knowledge. If they did, they wouldn't have hired a, an intern right out of university. Um, so take all those opportunities you possibly can to learn. Uh, and then what you find is, is when you do have all those skills or when you do have a diverse background of an understanding, you can afford to be more selective. You can focus on the things you want to learn more about because now you've already kind of built up that foundation. Both of you, in one way or another, are involved in young engineers and ASHRAE or student activities. Can you kind of expand a little bit more about the benefits of joining Young Engineers and ASHRAE and or student activities? Yeah, I, I would say that on the student activity side, one of the biggest benefits for students, I find, is the networking for sure. You get invited to program meetings, you get invited to events, uh, usually at a discounted, if not free rate for students. And so you just get to show your face and and potential future employers or potential future clients or coworkers We'll get to see your face and get to know you and kind of know that you've committed to this industry, um, which can help you. It helped me in job interviews when I was talking to someone and they, and they kind of stopped and thought, I think I've seen you before. And I was like, yeah, I was at the ASHRAE meeting last month. And, you know, it just kind of breaks the ice and makes it a little bit easier to have that conversation. And I also think when you go to these events, you're there, there's a technical program and you will sit through them, whether you're enjoying them at the moment or not. But when it comes back six months later and you know what you know, radiant panels are just because you end up being at a radiant panel program, then you just kind of got that knowledge almost accidentally. Like you went to that program meeting to make connections, to find a job, to network, but you still did learn technical knowledge that you're, that's going to help you throughout. And I've gone to every program meeting that I can make it to in the last like five years. And there's just things that I'm picking up that I'm now using at my job that I didn't even realize I, I remembered from a program meeting four years ago. So I just say, just always go, always learn, be open to learning and, and try and, you know, pay as much attention as you can and, and try and absorb that information. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's so important to continuously learn and want to learn. Um, and even if you don't necessarily see the relevance right now with, with Liz's point about, let's say, radiant panels, right? Um, if human beings never saw birds or creatures that flew, they could never have conceived the airplane. So if you have these little nuggets that you come across that you, you know, maybe I don't see an application right now. Maybe I don't see the relevance right now. But years down the road, you might come up to an application. You're like, I think there's a technology that applies here. And you'll be drawn to a solution and you'll be drawn to explore and learn more. But if you never had that opportunity, if nobody ever mentioned that radiant panels were a thing that existed, then you might never be able to conceive of them on your own. And so it's really important to expose yourself to all these lessons and, you know, very easy to get because if you don't go outside of your company, you are bound to the knowledge and experience that is in the company itself. There's not necessarily any new fresh ideas that are coming in. And so by taking these, these courses or, or going to these tech seminars or conferences, you are exposing yourself to that and bringing that information with you that you can then have a discussion about. And so for me, 
you know, learning is paramount. Having a willingness and open mind to learn is is the most important thing uh, and the greatest asset that a, a yay member could have. You know, at the professional level that you are at now, what are some of your goals for teaching this next generation of engineers? And Elizabeth, you are, of course, welcome to chime in on this as well. For me, I look at our industry and, and I, I want to give a caveat here. I mean, again, I didn't come up through a traditional background. So I came up through very much on the contracting side and have a bit of an appreciation for that, you know, the experience and, and mentality that that sector brings. Um, I, I actually have a lecture on avoiding conflict between engineers and contractors because I get to see both sides and, and kind of share that perspective. Um, for me, I think that in the industry I've experienced, we suffer a critical lack of imagination. A lot of people, a lot of contractors, and a lot of engineers are just content to keep doing the things that work. They're going to look at a problem and say, I'm building a building, I'm going to put rooftops on it. Have you considered XYZ? No, we always do rooftops, that's the solution. And so I really try to teach people that, you know, you have to break it down the problem and really understand the problem itself. And so if you're looking at how do I heat and cool or ventilate a building, the constraints of this problem does not begin and end at the envelope. You have to stand back and you think, okay, how are the occupants factoring in this? What energy sources do we have? What's around us? You have to look at the problem holistically, and then you might be led to different solutions. You might be like, hey, I was going to go with rooftops, but I've evaluated all these other things, and that's not the right approach for this job anymore. And so we're seeing that now, especially when you know, there's a big drive for things like decarbonization and, you know, a big push for, let's say, cold climate heat pumps, which is a technology I believe in. But you find out very quickly that if you look at certain projects or certain locations, that technology should not be used. And so, again, that lack of imagination is something we have to get over. We have to realize that any solution can fit, not just what we've traditionally done. And we need to know how to evaluate the whole set of constraints for a project to come to the right solution. And so that's the, the biggest thing I try to convey to my students, because a lot of the time I'm teaching them in the context of furnace sizing or rooftop unit sizing. And I'm always reminding them, like, just because I'm talking about a rooftop or a furnace doesn't mean this is what you have to do. You know, as long as you're generating heat, we could do anything. <laughs> There's many different ways to generate heat. Don't limit yourself to convention. Limit yourself based on the actual problems you're trying to solve. Yeah, to echo that a bit, I work with with some young engineers and, and I find that they end up asking me, like when I'm working on a selection, they end up asking me so many questions that we just essentially by accident, we end up doing something that's a bit more creative because they ask the questions. They didn't know that they were supposed to do a standard air-cooled gas unit. They asked me more questions. They you know, were like, oh, well, can we do it this way? So I was like, oh, yeah, let me you know, let me ask the factory, let me see what I can do. And so, you know, those young engineers that I think we talked about, like, aren't bound by the rules, they end up being more creative just because they didn't even know that they were supposed to be fitting into this cookie cutter. It makes it a lot more fun to be creative in our office. And, and one thing I say, and actually one of my lectures is I, I, I worry that throughout the years, you know, we've essentially kind of commoditized engineering for a large, you know, large regard. People come to me not with the mindset that they want my knowledge and experience to custom craft a solution for them, they're coming to me because I'm a guy who sells drawings and they need drawings for permits. And so I think we, we undervalue engineering and, and, you know, customers certainly may, but we shouldn't be undervaluing ourselves. 
we bring a lot of knowledge and expertise and experience to this and and we should be using that we we shouldn't be designing from a position of what's cheapest and most expedient we should be crafting a solution using our 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 knowledge and expertise so would you say that knowledge came right out of school or were these skills that you kind of learned on the job i guess in other words do you both feel you got out of school knowing what you needed to know for this career Nis, I think you said untraditional kind of path. I took a very traditional path, like math and science in high school, went into engineering, did the co-op thing. Um, I was unprepared leaving school for my job. Like I did traditional mechanical engineering. So we covered, you know, heat transfer a little bit, fluid dynamics, a bit of that. We didn't do a whole lot of HVAC and like I was not prepared for it, but you learn it on the job. Just going to ASHRAE things, that's kind of where I learned a lot of HVAC. I did some manufacturer training that helped me a lot understand HVAC. Um, I know the fundamentals ASHRAE course would kind of do the same thing, but it wasn't through school. It was definitely through work experience, through having good mentors, through asking good questions, through, you know, taking notes and reading books and reading ASHRAE journals and just paying attention when I could. Um, Like doing all that, that's what prepared me. And that's why I'm confident in my job and my technical abilities now. The school was definitely basics, the concepts, you know, like how heat moves and all that. I definitely needed to do that. I definitely needed those four years to just grow up from a high school student to, you know, like an adult. But it definitely didn't give me like the actual what my job would be kind of skills. For me, I, I often joke that my my school was the streets because I didn't go to a post-secondary program. Uh, I was never meant to be an engineer. I was supposed to be a pilot. Uh, I was supposed to buy my plane and go up north and be a bush pilot. And then uh, somehow I, I got... <laughs> enticed or lured into this industry. And so I had to learn everything piecemeal. Uh, I didn't have the foundation that most university students would have. Uh, I took very specific courses uh, in heat loads, uh, load calcs, duct design, hydronic design. And so I think it was almost kind of a very efficient approach. I, I learned exactly what I needed to learn in the time. So it was very context oriented, but I also lacked a strong foundation. My ASHRAE handbooks were just like my Bible because I I also didn't shy away from taking on work. It would be like, hey, can you design a pool? I'm like, yeah, of course I can. Why not? And then I'd be like, I have no idea how to do this. So I'd open up the handbook and I would start reading and learning absolutely everything I could about natatorium design. And I have a professional engineer I've been working with for well over a decade who reviews and, and seals my works. And, and he's been acting as a mentor. And others I found in, in Ashray as well, like uh, shout out to <laughs> Elizabeth's dad, uh, who's been a great friend and, and mentor and teacher of mine. And so I, I really had to kind of dig in and, and learn everything piecemeal. I remember one time, actually, my first pool job where I needed to do like humidity enthalpy calcs. Uh, And so I didn't know how to do that. I pulled out a textbook and I did two pages of just manual math. And then I showed it to my engineer for review. And he said, well, why didn't you just use a psychrometric calculator? Like nobody showed me how, nobody told me this was a thing. (laughs) I had to learn everything piecemeal the hard way, very specifically for what I wanted to do. And when I didn't know what I was looking at, now I'm like, okay, I got to go learn the math and the science behind this and then get caught up. So it was a very different approach, but I think the, the, the principle here is the same. Rather than having that foundation, I could learn in a very context specific situation 
but I still had to put in that work that others would have had to do in university, but for a very specific problem to solve. I like to think I'm pretty good at HVAC and plumbing engineering, but if you put me in, you know, mechatronics, if you put me in any other discipline that is still mechanical, I think I would barely tread water. <laughs> so it was just something I was able to kind of figure out as I went along. Can I add one more thing? I would just say for students, I, we get this question a lot in student activities, just exactly that. Like, were you prepared when you left? And I would tell people like, it's okay to feel unprepared. You don't maybe realize how much knowledge you've gathered over those four years. Like if you've graduated from a college program or university program, like you are smart enough to do this job. You will learn the rest in the job. You've been taught the last three or four years how to learn, how to take notes, and you're going to find mentors. You're going to find people that will help you learn the rest. It's okay to feel unprepared, like still apply for that job, still go to that job interview, still do all that and like put yourself out there. It's very normal to finish school and just be, you know, I get that sense of like, okay, well, I spent four years doing labs and taking notes, but, you know, I'm not ready, but you are. And, and we've all, we're all in that position and, and we've all figured it out. They can too. Nobody knows what they're doing until one day they realize they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so Elizabeth, you've kind of also talked about just going to the meetings, going to the, the tech meetings and all of that. For a young engineer, it could probably be very intimidating walking into that room. What could you say to those young engineers about walking into those meetings and how to kind of prepare for what they may experience? Yeah, I would say, I don't know if I would ever have been prepared for being in those meetings. Like uh, we've been saying, just be in that room and and don't expect to be the expert. Expect to go in there to learn. I've been in rooms where it feels like people aren't they don't understand what they're saying to each other. And I was like, maybe I'm just the one that's confused. But if you you know, can gather the courage to ask that question, you might actually help them figure out the misunderstanding. You're just going to learn being in that room. And, and I try to remind myself that everybody in that room has been in my shoes. They were all 22 and just out of school at some point. And they're there and they've learned. And I like to ask people, you know, like how they got to where they are. And I always you know, learn a different story. And that's because everyone's stories are different. And and that's, you know, the beauty of it. But just be in that room, learn as much as you can. And like I said, you might go in that room and then learn that that's not your topic, but you will definitely learn something in every one of those meetings, even if it's just like how to run a meeting or how not to run a meeting. I've been in those as well. You know, like it doesn't have to be the technical skills. It can be the leadership skills, the meeting running skills, the, you know, learning not to be interrupt or whatever. You'll learn all that just by being in those rooms and just from absorbing it from repetition. For my own part, because of my, my lack of formal education, I've always been very insecure about my technical knowledge. And so coming into those rooms for the first time, I, I experienced what everybody else did, that kind of sheer terror that I don't belong here. Um, you know, I, I better not say anything. Uh, maybe I'll just kind of watch. And what I think is, is most people don't walk into that room seeing what an opportunity it is. The stakes for you have never been lower and the payoff will never be higher. You can learn from people with technical expertise and ask questions that you don't have to worry about embarrassing yourself in front of a boss, embarrassing yourself in front of a client. You get an opportunity when you volunteer to work on research proposals on, you know, even if you're if you're at that point in the committee where you're running the, the committee or maybe your secretary, you can build this experience again without having to worry about jeopardizing your career. 
you can only grow from that point because now you can ask questions, you can make connections, get mentors, and you don't have to worry that it affects your ability to feed or clothe yourself. And so going into that room is such a hard first step, but the payoff is enormous. And as I mentioned before, the difference in perspective that you might bring is amazing because people get hung up on certain things. Uh, just as an example, uh, you know, with, with the historical committee, we were talking about a, a plaque that was being done and there was a lot of discussion about this plaque and the historical commemoration and the program that we were going to launch. And then I just kind of asked him like, oh, I'm, I'm just curious, who's paying for maintaining the plaque? And then everybody just kind of sat there and they're like, Oh, right. <laughs> right. It was just an outside perspective. Just I was curious about it. And then you kind of come across things that people were so focused on one part of the conversation, they didn't entertain the other part. And I tell I tell young engineers all the time, like, you might think you might have nothing to contribute technically, but you can definitely contribute your perspective because that is something that nobody else in that room will have. And it doesn't matter how long they've been in their career and they might have been you know, invented or discovered the most valuable technology we have, that person will never have your perspective. And that's something you can always contribute. I would say for any any young engineer going into a, a TC particularly, they need warm bodies that can read, that can look for typos, that can help, you know, run meetings, that can update their websites. That's how I'm learning. You know, I don't have a whole lot of technical skills to contribute at this point. I'm learning them every day. But I can definitely update a website. I can definitely send out the minutes. I can take notes. I can take attendance. I can meet everybody. I just, you know, I say yes to whatever they're offering. That way I get to meet everybody. I would also suggest when it's your first time going into a room, if there's no familiar faces, maybe sometimes you can bring one along with you, like bring another young engineer. Just try and, you know, find an ally in there. I often try like when it's break, because usually these meetings go on for a while, we take a break walk up to someone, introduce yourself and, and see if you can kind of build that connection. And and those connections can last a really long time. There's people that I might have met four or five years ago and I'll still say hi to them now. And, and I just walked up to them and said hi. And it's tough to make that first step, but Ashray is a very friendly place and, and people are, are there to network. They're not there to you know embarrass anybody. They're there. Everyone's there to learn and, and make connections. I've never experienced an organization that has been as open as Ashray is. There are times when you're not welcome and that's only when they're an exec and like they have to lock it down to no guests. Beyond that, they very much want you there. They recognize that the diversity and opinion is important and not just, you know, diversity and opinion, but growing the society and to borrow former President Mick Schwedler's speech, they're feeding the roots, right? They recognize that the young engineers are the next generation. And so we need that constant stream of people coming in. We need people who are interested. So even if you have a passing curiosity in a topic, just go to the TC, sit there, say hi to people, get your name out there. And, and then if all you do is sit quietly from then on out, that was still an important first step. It's hard to take, but it's, it's like I said, the risk is so low and the payoff is so big. Seeking a job in the engineering field or searching for the most qualified engineers? The Ashray Career Center connects opportunities and candidates. Search for jobs, manage your resume, and create alerts for when jobs are posted. Employers, post new jobs, review resumes, and manage recruiting. Go to jobs.ashray.org. Those skills that you're learning, of course, are important for success in, in your personal job as 
you're saying this with the reward being so high. What are some other skills that you both may think are necessary for success, either in Ashray or on the job? I think one of the best things that Ashray has done and one of the biggest skills that I've learned is just leadership skills. Like it's it's going to take me you know, years and years to become an actual manager or supervisor at my office, um, just based on, on how it is. But through Ashray, I was the chair of a committee my first year out of university. It was crazy. I was like, why am I in charge of this? But, you know, I said yes to that position and they immediately expected me to, you know, put together my committee and, and, and run activities. And and now I'm, you know, regional vice chair of student activities. I'm post-high subcommittee chair. Like I'm planning the student program in Atlanta. It's crazy how far I've come in five years. I think I graduated five years ago. And so, you know, running meetings, getting people on time, assigning tasks and like making decisions on timing, on, you know, what speaker is going to come, what we're going to do, who's going to do what, like those things, like I'm learning how to make those decisions. I'm getting the opportunity to do them, which I like simply adore. And it's so good to get to do that and develop those skills through ASHRAE. Ashray is definitely the way that I'm learning how to do my job. It's just such an opportunity that I don't think I would have had in another organization. I don't know that there are a whole lot of other places where young engineers can learn those leadership skills. And like Nis said, like it's a very low risk opportunity. Like if I kind of mess this up, I'm not going to get fired. I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not going to lose money. Obviously, people will be disappointed. I'll be disappointed. But it's one of those places where you get out more than you put in and you just put in as much as you can and you go from there. And I really loved it. I think Ashray is one of those places where you can really develop those skills. I would agree. The the leadership training I I got was just invaluable. I've had leadership training uh, in my younger years a bit, um, but this was an eye-opening experience uh, in in a couple of ways. One, I recognized that Ashray was reciprocating in my investment. I was volunteering at the chapter level and not even any, any great contribution here. I didn't sign up on the exec. I wasn't the president. I showed up to meetings and I took photos. Uh, that was how I started. But they saw that. My chapter saw that. My chapter asked if I wanted to take some leadership training. Uh, and then so I went to um, the leadership weekend at HQ. Yay, leadership weekend. Yeah. Uh, which was awesome. And then I ended up taking uh, leadership. Uh, I'm having a brain fart here. I think leadership academy, the, the two day, uh, it was in Portland with uh, Ralph Kaizen, which also an amazing opportunity. If anybody's listening and has an opportunity to get sent, or if, if you have the means of sending yourself, it is an enormous opportunity. Like I said, uh, I had tremendous insecurity with my technical background. And that sort of training uh, allowed me to, to realize, to actually use Ralph's company slogan, you're better than you think you are. Ashray brought about a great amount of personal growth for me, as well as professional growth that I could not have had without it. Um, so it's been a fantastic opportunity. And, and another thing I learned there in, in topic of leadership is the distinction between like IQ and EQ, uh, emotional quotient versus intelligent quotient. And so I think, uh, I don't think I'm I'm saying anything particularly scandalous when I say that. I think, uh, you know, engineering attracts, for the most part, a certain type of personality. And that personality might not be great at talking or communicating and leading people. And so it's a skill that needs to be honed. And one thing Ralph said that like, up until this point in your career with university and everything, you have been rewarded or distinct based on your intelligence. And now you're in the workforce and finding out that everybody around you more or less has that. And so now you need to distinguish yourself in a different way. And that's where emotional quotient comes in. And that's where leadership skills come in. 
And that's how you can continue to advance your career. And I'm sure we can all academically understand that or appreciate that. It's another thing to actually take that training, to actually recognize that within yourself and how you can apply that. And so the leadership opportunities just such a catalyst for me for professional and, and personal growth that I can't thank uh, Ashray enough and I can't convey enough how big of an impact it had. Yeah, I, I did that that Yale Leadership Weekend as well. I think I was in Portland, Maine, and you might have done Portland, Oregon. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Opposite coasts. <laughs> and I look back at that group and a lot of people in that group are now leaders at their chapters, leaders at their region. I've seen them around at conferences and it just goes to show that, you know, when you invest in your members, like they give back to that community. And I think I did that in November of 2018. I'd been at my job for like six months when I was sent on this. And it was so significant for my development. I was able to travel for the first time by myself, which was just on the personal side, just like really great. But it also just like, it taught me so much. Like you said, just learning about the EQ side of things and Growing up, I always really liked math and science, and my parents, who are both engineers, were like, that's great. You need to be able to communicate. When I was really young, I was like, I don't care about French and English classes. They're like, no, you need to communicate. If you have the best idea in the world and you can't express it, it's not the best idea anymore. It's just your imagination, right? And so, and I, I think through that, I learned how to communicate with other people of different personalities. That's a challenge. Like, even if you're a really good communicator, to be able to communicate with someone who can be very different than you is a challenge. And that's when those leadership training opportunities really teach you that. And uh, and I did the the leaders one as well. So yeah, any any YAY members, like put yourself up for those. They are great. You get to learn so much about Ashray, about the leaders that are there today and who might be a leader with you in the future. You'll get to meet people that are YAY members now that you, you see it in them that, you know, that you're going to see them around Ashray for a long time. So you might as well get to meet them now and, and build those connections so you can, you know, make friends. And now that we've kind of touched on the past and present of your growing careers, I'd love to kind of pivot to what the future of HVAC will look like for these young engineers. How are maybe both of you or colleagues of yours uh, preparing for the the skills gap that may come about as the rise of these older engineers and or baby boomers are, you know, retiring due to COVID or other things? Yeah, if I can start. Um, I've seen a lot of, you know, young engineers that are, you know, we're calling young engineers 35 and under, I think. They're being given a lot of responsibility really quickly. And part of that is because there's just so much work to be done. Part of it is, like you said, a lot of baby boomers and older engineers are retiring. They're taking a step back. And so that means that it's on us, younger engineers, to kind of fill that gap. And we need to be aware that it's coming. We need to know that there's a lot of work to be done. And I think our generation is set up to work smarter, not harder. And I think part of that is sharing knowledge. And ASHRAE is that place to do that. I was explaining to someone when I was in Halifax, you know, what is ASHRAE? And you know, to someone who is so non-technical. And I, I don't think I had to do that in a long time. And I was like, well, it's it just kind of started because, you know, one person was doing one thing and someone else was doing something. And they realized that they should maybe decide on the best way to do it. You know, and so we need to keep doing that. We need to keep sharing our ideas and sharing the best way to do things because 
we can't all be reinventing the wheel every single time. No work's going to get done. We need to share those ideas and make ourselves more efficient in the way that we build things, in the way that we design things, and I guess operate things as well. And there's a lot of challenges coming up with decarbonization, with refrigerants changing, with climate change. There's so much happening that we're going to have to handle on the technical side and on the, the people side that it's up to us to prepare ourselves now and to learn now. And that's why you know, I would encourage any young engineer to be involved in ASHRAE so that when you have to find a better way to do something, you're not still trying to figure out how to do it in the first place. You're not still learning how to design that building and then make it more efficient. You've already kind of honed those skills because as you said, like as baby boomers are are retiring, it's going to be on us to fill that gap. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of work to be done. And those are the challenges, you know, we know about now. There's plenty of challenges that I'm sure we can't even think about that are coming down the line. Yeah, it's been, what, a handful of generations since the Industrial Revolution. And, you know, as each generation kind of goes through its experience or its relationship between technology and the earth, you know, the previous generations had what they figured a limitless supply of resources and a planet that we could sink our waste into endlessly and it would never become an issue. And now we have a generation of emerging engineers that don't have that worldview. Uh, I just saw an alert today that uh, the UN said we hit 8 billion people today. (laughs) The population is growing way quicker than any generation before could have imagined and using energy way more than any generation before could imagine. And so we have a unique set of problems that the next generation of engineers are going to be faced with and a unique set of, well, maybe not necessarily a unique set of hopes, but in terms of, you know, interplanetary exploration. There's a lot of room to grow. There's a lot of new cool things to apply our knowledge and experience to. And so it's going to be things that will force our hand to grow um, and and just an observation of opportunities to grow into. Um, The other thing I I look at it for kind of that future growth for me, and, and this is just probably because of the perspective I had with my background, is engaging contractors. They're the other side of the coin here. I would love to see more contractors participate in ASHRAE. I recognize as, you know, I'm I'm chair of the historical committee. I I know the history of ASHRAE being an engineering society and why it emerged distinct from the contracting society. But one thing I, I shout to anybody who will listen is the best design, the most energy efficient design isn't worth a damn if the guy or girl swinging the hammer doesn't know or buy into it. Because at the end of the day, they have every opportunity to work against us on the design side. And not not that they're bad people, far from it. They are doing a lot of this in good faith. They just don't have the perspective that we have. And when clients are faced with conflicting information, well, my engineer says I should do this, but this contractor has been doing it for a lot longer than this engineer has been alive. And they're saying I need to do it differently. Who are they going to listen to? And so I think by kind of just focusing on a society for engineering without really courting the contracting side, or at the very least, actively trying to educate them and encourage their participation, we are kind of fighting this with one hand behind our back. And so looking to the future, that's why I love the fact that I teach would-be contractors. Most of my students at the college want to get an apprenticeship want to be technicians, want to be installers. And so I can share that engineering perspective with them so they understand what the system should have been doing in the first place. Why did the engineer pick that system to begin with? And then we can work together to the same goal 
rather than fall into these somewhat adversarial relationships. So that's really motivating for me and, and one of the reasons I absolutely love what I do. I have a good friend of mine who's a contractor. Exactly what you just said, and that there, there are contractors that also want to engage. They just don't aren't 100% sure how to do so because, you know, it's they look at ASHRAE as engineering strictly and they, they don't know how to kind of break into ASHRAE as well. If I may as well, then, to tie back to what we were discussing with the leadership and EQ and, and all these things, um, I feel like, especially in, here in Canada, because we have the Iron Ring ceremony and, and all that, it can reinforce some very negative traits in people. Uh, it can reinforce an ego if, if people already have one. And I, I know on a job site once there was, there was a conversation with the engineer and he was saying to run duck through a place that it physically couldn't go. And the engineer said to him, listen, I'm the guy with the ring. You're the guy with the hammer. Just get it done. And that to me is such a failure in leadership and in EQ. We owe it to ourselves to take advantage of this. I mean, Ashray is begging for people. Ashray wants you to come. We want to pay for you to take this training. Take it up. You're only going to help yourself and the industry. There's far-reaching implications if, if you do participate and you do contribute. I heard a story recently about a young female engineer, and she was going to site, and she was kind of going through that, right, where she had done this design that was maybe a little bit more innovative and, and needed buy-in from the contractor, and she had such a tough time getting people to buy into it. Part of it was the iron ring. Part of it was being like a young female engineer and just coming onto the site with so many people. And, and it's a tough position to be in because you have to respect the experience, right? They've been through it. They've done this a million times. They've seen, you know, hundreds of young engineers with great ideas that didn't go anywhere. And so part of that, and, and I would see it obviously from the engineering side, you need to prepare yourself for that maybe conflict, but for those questions, right? So if someone asks you why I'm doing this, you should have a good answer for that. And your answer can't be, you know, because I know better. It has to be because I've thought it through. This is why, you know, life cycle reasons or whatever, efficiency reasons, you need to prepare yourself for that. And just don't go into it blind and expecting people to respect you because of your title. They should be respecting you because of who you are and what you say and the things that you do. And I think it's easy to kind of hide behind a title and think that someone's going to listen to you because you're the engineer, but you need to have good reasons and you need to be able to communicate them respectfully and clearly to people as well. I think we're learning. There's a lot of trading out there about EQ in ASHRAE particularly. And I think the younger generation is more open to listening to that. So I would think that we're going to be a generation that knows how to communicate with each other, that is learning about it. We're talking about, you know, lean design and, and all these things. It's just going to take a really long time to do that. It's not as easy. It's harder to do it. It can seem like it maybe costs more starting. So it, it's tough to get, you know, an owner on, on board. It's going to take a long time for us to get there. But I, I think our, our generation is going to be more open to those things just because we've been hearing it for longer. You know, we aren't bound, like we talked about, by those rules. We, we just, we're going to be a, a group that works together really well. It's just, it takes time to do that and to build the experience there's mistakes that need to be made by every kind of engineer that they'll learn. Um, even if someone tells you, sometimes you got to make that mistake yourself for it to really sink in. So it's just gonna it's just gonna take a little while. And just to touch on on one thing Elizabeth said there about like you said like respect. Uh, you know they can't just respect the title. You have to you kind of have to back it up. Uh, one thing that I talk about in my my design process lecture is that when you you have all these options you could go with, 
I try to critically evaluate each one and ask why does it suck and tear it apart and and whatever I don't disqualify is probably going to be the best solution for that project. But the reason I suggest people go through that process is because somebody else is going to tear apart your design. The contractor is going to rip it apart. The client's going to rip it apart. And they're going to say, you don't need this. You don't need that. Why are they making you do this? And you need to do that before it goes to it's plotted because you need to be able to defend your design. If you can't defend your design, then it's a crappy design. You have to be able to articulate why you believe in it, why you chose to go that way. You may not be able to convince everybody, but you have to be prepared to have that conversation and believe in yourself at that point. So it's important, like you said, to be able to communicate that. And the only reason a set of drawings exist is to communicate the intent of the designer. If the drawings suck and if you can't convey that information properly, you didn't do your job properly. So it's really important to, to kind of have those skills uh, and, and really think about that. And as far as this generation versus subsequent generations, I just love what I'm watching happening with Gen Z or, or the Zoomers. There's the world that the generations before us grew up in professionally doesn't exist anymore. I don't know anybody who's going to start their career right out of college and retire with a gold watch at the end of a long career anymore. That world is gone. And the Zoomers weren't born into that world. So they're not bound by that convention. They have a completely different set of social rules that some of us may or may not well understand, but they understand quite well. And they have a different set of problems. They're looking at a world that has been exploited and a previous husk of what it was and are being told there, now go do what we did and that's how you'll be successful. And they realize that that isn't true. So they have to figure it out themselves. And I'm absolutely here for it. I do love seeing this generation kind of stand up against that previous idea and, and kind of make a go of it themselves. And for me, you know, David Underwood, the former uh, president of ASHRAE, he, I'm sure other people have said it, but I, I'll credit him. He said, engineers, we're in the solutions industry. That's what we do. We provide solutions to problems. And this generation is providing solutions to the problems that they were handed. And we might not like it, but we're from a different time. Uh, yes, I am 36. I'm technically not a yay member anymore. So <laughs> I'll say that I'm part of that old generation now. But um that's a beautiful thing that they are looking at the problems that they were given and they're coming up with solutions. And that's exactly what we should be encouraging, whether or not the solutions are what we would have done. One note on what you were saying about defending your design and stuff. If, if it ever happens that you're a young engineer and you make that mistake, you know, you could have made the mistake. Maybe your design is bad and you didn't think it through. Just remember that it's not you that someone's mad at. It's your design. You need to separate your work from your person. And I think our generation, because we're so connected, like through computers and through technology and everything, like we can really see everything as one, but you need to separate, you know, your work product from yourself and don't take that, you know, don't take that home and be like, I totally messed up everything. Like I suck. I'm the worst. You can make that mistake. You're going to have to learn from it. Like maybe it costs money. Maybe people are upset. Maybe someone has to cover for you or something, but you need to kind of separate that because it's going to be tough. Like as an engineer, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn. Like you can't know everything from the start. You don't know everything from school. You don't know any, everything when you're 20 years in because technology is always changing. And so you just need to take those mistakes as learning opportunities, which they are, 
and just keep going and and try not take things personally, which can be very, very difficult, especially, you know, when it was, maybe it was your decision and you thought this was like so smart and then just like everything falls apart and and whatever, but it's not who you are, right? It's not Liz, the, the engineer, maybe like Liz, the engineer, but it's not Liz, the person that is to blame. And so you just need to kind of keep going and, and you know, protect yourself and your your mental health. I wanted to say that. Absolutely. Take care of your mental health. Absolutely. Whatever resources you need or available to you, take advantage of them. I don't mind saying I have a therapist that I speak to quite regularly because the human brain is too complicated and the world is too complicated for me to be trapped alone with my thoughts. And I remember about five years ago crying in a sea can, thinking that I had no value in terms of my technical skills as an engineer or as a contractor, and I was ready to leave both industries. I felt I had no business. And so when I said looking back and not even recognizing where I came from, that part is very real. It is so easy to get stuck in your own head. There's a whole spread. There's a whole spectrum of of people on, on the contracting end. So it's not fair to group them together. But there's still some of that pervasive mentality of that toughness or that kind of... Um, that rough and tumble that, you know, you can't hack it in this industry if you're, you're emotionally weak. So some people can be really cruel or some people might be a bit more rough than they mean to be. And we have to have allowances for ourselves and others to be human beings and screw up. And God knows I screw up all the time. My students screw up all the time. That's just the reality. That's why we have things like peer review. That's why we should never, ever trust a young engineer to just go and do something because people will screw up and we need to be there to catch the mistakes that human beings make and we need to support them. But you also have to be able to support yourself. So any young engineers listening, if you have the resources, if you have the company benefits to support your mental health, please, please absolutely do so. This is a very hard industry that expects a lot of you. And if you are already that type of person, that you have that drive, that you place so much value in your work ethic or your intellect, then when you start coming up against walls that challenge that, that can lead to dark places if you're not prepared to work through that. It's just important. I have lost a friend to suicide. I have friends who lost friends to suicide. It's just so, so important that we do take care of ourselves because nobody can do it alone. And it's easy to just think that you aren't enough. It's easy to think that you weren't prepared for this and I don't belong here. But the fact that you got through university or the fact that I even, you know, without going to university, got to this part, this level, means that you do belong here. You've met the challenge. You've succeeded. And you're going to struggle, but we all struggle. So take care of yourself. That's all you can do. Yeah. Use your vacation days too. They're there for a reason. Oh, absolutely. I love that we're kind of ending on that point because mental health, I think, is a big thing for this current generation that more people are willing to prioritize their mental health. So I appreciate you sharing this. I was a part of an organization in college for suicide prevention. So I do, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you making it a point to talk about these things. And Elizabeth, thank you so much. As we wrap up this episode, can we get some final thoughts from both you, Elizabeth and Nis? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, final thoughts to, to any engineers or young engineers or students listening is just to be brave and to take those steps. It can be really, really hard. And it might take a bit of pressure from your peers or from yourself, but, you know, just believe in yourself and and keep going. 
and it's not a straight line. You're not just going to start doing it and it's going to go well from there. You know, you might be, you might have setbacks. There might be things in your life that change your situation that you can't, you know, for a year or whatever. And you might get involved in Ashray and it's not for you. And that, that could be the case as well. But just take those chances and, and find your home and, and hopefully people can find as much joy and, and surprises as I have in Ashray and, you know, find the joy in it and, and the passion in their career. For me, the parting note I would give would apply to young engineers and, and old engineers and employers is keep an open mind and be curious. You know, for the older engineers, to have an open mind to what the younger engineers are saying. Entertain the thoughts. It might not be a good idea, but might lead to a better idea or a learning opportunity. And for the young engineers, keep an open mind as to what you might be interested or be curious about what might interest you. Walk into those technical committees, walk into the standards committees or even the standing committees that help ASHRAE function. See what it's about. You never know what might resonate with you and what might interest you enough to hook you in. And for me, that's the best advice I think any engineer could have is be curious and be open-minded. I'm Caitlin Bache, assistant editor, and we will see you next time. Yay. The Ashray Journal podcast team is editor John Falcioni, managing editor Kelly Barraza, producer and associate editor Chad Jones, assistant editor Caitlin Beish, associate editor Tani Polevsky, and technical editor Rebecca Matasovsky. Copyright Ashray. The views expressed in this podcast are those of individuals only and not of Ashray, its sponsors, or advertisers. Please refer to ashray.org forward slash podcast for the full disclaimer.